such a cool thing to think about this morning. You should be shivering with excitement. <laughs> Just snuggle up or give somebody a coat or sort of, you know, stand up and jump around. Father, we thank you that you have good news for us. We thank you that you have come into this world that we might have joy. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will encourage our spirits this morning. That you will uh, speak to us in our hearts, in our lives, that we might be a people who are known across this valley as one, those who have great joy. Despite circumstances, despite uh, challenges, that our joy would be rooted in you. So we just ask you to take us deeper into that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to think around uh, a familiar story, which is the story of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus. And I'm going to go through a bunch of scriptures. But I'll start off with uh, the, the Lazarus story. A little bit. We'll start with the first few verses and then we're going to just uh, skim through it over the, over the course of the next three or four hours. Now it's John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured the perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I'm going to pause it there and, and come back to it in a, in, a, in a while. I thought I'd ask you a question, which is a fairly simple question, and that is, um, I'm not going to ask you, don't worry, I'm just going to ask you to put your hands up, but how many of you have been in hospital or have had medical procedures? Put your hand up, please. Look around. Quite a few of you. Uh, why would you do that? Because it's maybe the only way you're going to be healthy. So... I won't ask you to put your hand up, and there are probably those who didn't put their hand up and say, so we're in this whole, this whole journey of, of maintaining physical health. Uh, do you always get the nurse or the doctor that you like? Do you have the privilege of being able to determine every single person who's going to work on you? Uh, do you control a lot of that? I mean, are you ever open to indignities? I mean, I'd rather not have that done to me, thank you. That kind of thing? Okay, I want to encourage you, because I think one of the things the Lord wants to say to each of us is why would you subject yourself to that kind of indignity to keep your body alive? But when it comes to spiritual truth and healing, you won't let me near you. Why is it that you think that a little... Jesus, please come into my heart, is going to kick in for the rest of your life, and that's it. Why is it every time you feel uncomfortable, you run away from me, and then you ask me to live in you? 
Why, are you, why would you pay so much attention and go through such hell at times for your body, but not for your spirit? Now, the encouraging part of that is that that's just life. For us to live on this earth, every physical principle has a spiritual principle. And the road to joy is the same as the road to physical health. It sometimes requires surgery. It sometimes requires things to be done so that that can be released in us. That's what we're thinking about this morning. So rather than having this attitude of, it better not hurt and I don't want to go there, it's just going, what's beyond this? Why would I invest, is really the question. Because what you invest in is what you get out. And God, I believe, is, is saying, you've asked me for joy and peace and life and hope, and I love to give it to you. It's poured out all over you, but you can't receive it. Because I'm not getting any room in order to give it to you and release it in you. I came up with the acronym, you know, joy is Jesus occupying you. But there's the old statement which you say, I can invite Jesus into the front door and then he stays there in the hallway. And he starts moving around saying, I'd like to see this place. And that's when he starts talking to us about our broader lives, like we saw in the clip. I thought you asked me to come in. I thought you asked me to be in charge. But you'll also see in the, the clip that I show today and we'll show another one next week, there's a sensitivity with Jesus that you do, he doesn't take, it doesn't take much for him to walk off and say, all right, if that's what you want. Because the spirit is very sensitive. So it's about learning how to enter in and to also understand that the hardest thing, we're talking about freedom and the, 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 the uh, people moving out of slavery into the promised land, the hardest thing to enter into freedom is to take personal responsibility. And to actually say, I have choices, I have things to do, I have things to decide upon. And we might talk a bit about that next week, because as soon as you make a decision that is towards the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of darkness will test that decision. And if we don't learn how to stand up to the test, we will never progress beyond our feelings. And our circumstances will totally rule us. And we probably can all testify to that. We know that. So how do we step beyond that? I want to go through a few, just verses, just skim through them, because it's very interesting and encouraging and delightful to find that Jesus actually has quite a... God the Father and Jesus and the Spirit are full of joy. Would you know it? There's a lot of joy around God the Father, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of joy around God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know that. It's also really infectious. It's really visible. Where God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, there is joy. Well, where are you? I think it's more than a theory. A lot of people say, well, it's in the book. Well, 
let's read the thing because he says it's meant to be in us. Luke chapter, let's go quickly. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. I'm just going to uh, skim these. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 is when the, Jesus, uh, the, the birth of Jesus is announced. And what does he say? Verse 10 to the shepherds Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. So right from the beginning, it was this news is, is, is good news and it's got great joy for you. John 15 verse 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples. John 15 verse 11. I'll start from verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you may be obedient and serve me. No. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. My joy will be in you as you live in my love. We are talking about fruit the other day. So if the joy isn't there, what's the problem? It's not an accusation, it's a clue, that's all. Coconuts don't grow in Antarctica. What's the problem? It's the wrong place for coconuts. Go to the tropics. If you want to find joy, joy grows in the kingdom of heaven around Jesus. If you don't have joy, you don't have the kingdom of heaven, you don't have Jesus releasing it in you. You don't have to pray about it, you just go, it's not there. Oh, you're making me feel bad. I'm not making you feel bad. I'm merely just saying there's no joy. What's the problem? So what we do if we're gardening or we're doing something else, if something's not happening as we think it might, we say, what's the problem? So it's good news to know that Jesus' agenda for you and me is that we would be filled with joy and peace and life and hope. That is a testimony to his life in us because it looks so weird. That's what uh, Vittoria was saying. I have a love that is not in context. I mean, everything around us is crazy and yet I have this in me which is the fruit of the Spirit. It's what Jesus wants to do. He says, I want you to be a people where your characters radiate out my life and my priorities when everything around you is looking like you should be miserable and be whatever. And he went to the cross for that, so it's not a cheap fruit. And he says, I'm not into the Western commodity thing, which is just, you know, dial up and we'll send it around. You have to actually contend for this. John 15:11, the promise to his disciples was, uh, I want my joy to live in you, and I want... Uh, you to have your joy complete, filled up with me, so that you are powerfully joyful. Which is actually what happened. John 16, verse 22. He, he puts joy here, which is just after women giving birth to a child as pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will, t- you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Seems to imply that there is grief in the midst of coming to joy. 
there, there are things that can be tough in order to get to joy. It's not just joy with nothing. Like childbirth, you say, well, why are you having another child? I mean, grief, it's painful, apparently. <laughs> Felt nothing myself. <laughs> we won't get it, no. But I believe the women will say, well, you know, when you're holding that baby in your arms, then all the memories of joy... I mean, of, of joy, of, of, of pain tend to subside. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what I don't know anything about. But the concept and the reality is true, though. And Jesus is saying, what happens if you hunger for joy like that? I mean, what are you willing to go through for? What are you willing to go through in order to get this kind of fruit? Ask yourself that. How many, how many, what are you asking God for and then what are you doing about it? Or is it asking God and praying and sounding spiritual but actually nothing changes because there is nothing that I do different. I'm not accusing you, I'm just saying then don't be surprised if nothing changes. It's not God's responsibility to do everything for us. He desires, there's no question, He desires to release joy and peace and life in you and me abundantly he's opened up the way through Jesus on the cross who says I've taken your sin the barrier the rebellion in you I've taken that so the first thing you do is say Jesus I confess to you I'm a sinner thank you for what you've done on the cross I confess that and I ask you to fill me and come into my life so that I might have your joy in me and then he says follow me and following me means I spend time with people I begin to learn how to know his story and I begin to work out how to nurture the seed that can grow into something that's powerful inside me. So grief and joy seem to have some kind of uh, match up there in some form anyway, not all the time. Verse 13 of chapter 17, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. This is his prayer for his disciples. In Romans 14, Paul talks about joy. And I've just got three more references that I want to make. Romans uh, 14, verse 17. It's a little bit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Those who are full of peace and joy. Because peace and joy and hope are very attractive to people. Peace, hope and joy tend to breed encouragement, tend to breed life, tend to breed life and light. And people who can bring light and life and hope in contexts where everything else is depressed are pretty special. They are lights. And Jesus says, well, if my light lives in you, that's what I want to live out of you, that you're all little lighthouses that really bear t witness to something else. So that people begin to say, why are you different? So Paul was saying, the Holy Spirit releases joy and life.
could spend more time there. We won't. 15.13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, all these things that Paul is praying for and, and Jesus is praying for are character issues. They're qualities in us. They're only possibly accessed by and released by the Holy Spirit. It's not by straining to do it. It's not by learning information in your head. Paul said that, didn't he? He said that the flesh is willing, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Or the head knows the theory, but the heart doesn't know how to access it. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need His Spirit working in us. And Hebrews 1 verse 9 has a great phrase out of the psalm that we read which says uh, that Jesus was, a was one who was anointed with the oil of joy. Anointed with the oil of joy. God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So, Quickly, how to get there, going back to Lazarus, because it seems very clear the promise of God is that his people would know joy, which would infect their worship, would infect their relationships, which would infect everything about them, that they would be known as a people who are full of great joy. You go back to, to Lazarus and Mary, and Ma this is a, a, a passage that's also about prayer, really, and prayer is talking to God. And you talk to God on the level that you have intimacy with him. So if God is very formal, then you talk very formally to God. But God, the, the, the picture I always have of God, uh, I was just thinking about that this week. I, was, I think I've mentioned this before. I was at a, a church service, I think it was a funeral not long ago, and I watched people coming in, and they were all dressed up in ties and suits and everything. And you know what it looks like. I mean, you can tell who's been in a church or not. But uh, it depends on the church they've been in. But it's everybody's on their best behavior and it's all very uptight and it's a very formal service and we're talking to God like, I mean, he must be very important but also very scary. And then they go off and have the reception and the reception, the ties are off and the jackets are off and everybody's laughing. It's totally different. And I think, well, so God the Father, how would you feel? Which, one, which group would you like to meet with? I mean, if Carmen and Michelle came to me, and every time they came to me, they wore their best clothes and they tiptoed around and said, uh, Hi, Dad, I've got to talk to you on page three. Hello, Dad. How are you? What would, you, what would go on in your head or your heart? You say, What's wrong with you? Why, are you? why are you behaving like this? So my picture of God is the guests have left, there's a fire and you're sitting with your feet up on your, with your slippers and you've got a glass of wine or you've got a glass of tea and you're talking. And the last thing he's worried about is what you look like. That's the God we're talking about. That's the God we're talking about. How is it with you and God when you talk to him? Are you talking like that or is it something else? If it's something else, God help you. Because it won't be fun. It'll be awful. 
Mary and Martha are friends of Jesus. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, I think we're very, very close friends, if not Jesus' best friends in terms of the outer circle. And he stayed with them often, and their house was just over there. You walk up out of Jerusalem, and you can look back and you see Jerusalem. You walk over the hill and down a path, I've been there, to Bethany. And you come to their house. I mean, I don't know where their house is, but it's in that region. And they were deeply loved by Jesus. And they sent, Lazarus got sick, and they sent a word to Jesus, because he's the one who heals. They're beginning to clue into that, and they know that he cares. And so they said, the one you love... Is, is dying, is sick, and Jesus doesn't do anything. First lesson in talking to God, don't misunderstand lack of response as not caring or lack of love. Just because he's not doing it as you want, it doesn't mean he's not hearing you. But that doesn't happen overnight. We have to learn that. And how do we learn that? We learn that through experiences like this one so Jesus you know his disciples say you don't want to go back there because last time they tried to kill you and Jesus says he doesn't really say it but you can read between the lines I'm going back there because I love Lazarus so I'll risk my life for him but they don't know that at this point they think I'm ignoring you and so he goes back and he's not even you know the word travels fast because people are, are walking on the road and they run up to Mary and Martha's house and they say, uh, you know, the, the teacher is coming. Now I want you to pay attention to this because it's really important. Jesus is not risen. Jesus, uh, you could say he's wearing leather. He's still in skin. Jesus is alive. I want to contend for this very, very strongly. This is not about Mary and Martha sitting in their house and praying for God to do something and nobody knows anything about it. This is all worked out within the context of relationships with their friends on the road all the time. It's another thing I believe we really need to get hold of. If you want your life to grow in Jesus, you cannot be private. Not to the degree some of us are. Another word for that is usually stubbornness and pride. We won't do that today, we're talking about joy. But that will get in the way. That will get in the way, I promise you. Anyway, they rush out to this, this place, they rush out to where Jesus is. Mary comes first, no, Martha comes first, and says, you know, I thought, where, where does she say this? Um, Ma, Ma, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but now that... But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She misunderstands him and says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection. Gets all religious. Jesus says, I am the resurrection, the life. He says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. It's all very in your head. She went back and called Mary. And Mary comes rushing out. And Mary evokes in Jesus something because uh, she's crying. Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along were also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He cared deeply about what they were going through. But with all the love that he had for them and for you and me, there's another really, really crucial point. He didn't stop them feeling the pain. We stop each other feeling pain because we don't know what to do with it. 
and we prevent God working in each other's lives because it hurts a little bit. Ask the Lord when to stop and when to speak and when to say what should be. Jesus has huge compassion, but he also allows things to work through. Because he really says in the end, this pain that you're feeling now is far less than the pain you would feel if I stopped you feeling it. Some of us are in pain because we keep trying to shut down the pain. Not understanding it's a way through to something else. We'll come back to that. So Mary, so, so Jesus is very concerned, and he's con- what does he say to her? He says, uh, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept, and they go to the tomb. Now, let me, maybe, uh, they come to the tomb. There's a big stone rolled over that one person can't move. Jesus says, move it away. Martha says, it'll stink in there. He's already been dead four days. Jesus says, just trust me. They roll the stone away. Jesus prays and then says, Lazarus, come out. And I love this phrase in the Bible. says, the dead man came out. The dead man walked out. And he said, take the grave clothes on off him and set him free. Now, what do you think was the experience of Mary and Martha and the people who were there when they saw Lazarus come out? I think it was probably joy. And I think in that we have a principle of how to find joy in our own lives. One of the things that God wants to do in us is says... The tombs, the graves, are symbols of what we have given up on inside us. Inside us is the promised land that God is wanting to possess, step by step. He doesn't like graves. Wherever he sees a grave, he opens it. He wants Christians to live in open houses where there's nowhere that you can't go. You can say, oh, that's where I screwed up there, but Jesus has dealt with that. It's open, it's light in there. You can go anywhere in my house, you can go anywhere in my life. There's nothing hidden. That's his, that's his goal and desire for us. The reason why many of us are not experiencing more victory, joy and peace in our lives is because there are too many closed graves. And God says to us, I want to release my joy, but I can't get through the graves. I want to, but I will not do it like that stool. Don't tell me you can't, because that's a decision. I won't. To be encouraged, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, so how do you know what he wants to do in you? You'll know. You'll know what rises up in you. You'll know the the next area that he wants to work on. But he wants us to learn how to work with him, that it's not terrible stuff. It's going, oh, great, at last we can deal with this. The tomb, the grave, resembles, stands for anything that you don't want to look at because it stinks in there. 
It might be memories. It might be all kinds of things. I was talking to somebody this weekend, a week that's not in this church, and they were really struggling with the fact that in the workplace they never felt validated and they were struggling with their own sense of worthlessness. And when we spent a bit of time talking around it, it became really clear that the root of that was in the family of origin where the father and the brothers were not affirming. And so he was struggling with this battle. I said, how cool is that? You're going to spend the next two months just looking at the father's love for you. And he's going to heal all of that. He's going to roll that stone away and he's going to just let it all come out, take the grave clothes off, and that whole need to be validated is going to be reset free. But you can't be set free if you won't look. And so Jesus wants to give joy, but he says, in order for you to have joy, you need to let me take you to places where that's getting blocked. Because I can only fill what is released to me. Does this make sense? Say that woman who's got anger, he was talking about anger, and he says, you've got anger all the time. Maybe anger is something you struggle with, you flare up. Well, Jesus will say, let's go, where have you you placed that? Where is that rooted? You might go, I don't know. And he says, well, maybe you need to go and talk with people about it because this is where the part of the relationship stuff is important. He doesn't say, work it out yourself in the privacy of your own dysfunction. He says, humble yourself and go and talk to people about it because they can help you. We can help each other because you go, oh, I remember when that was my issue. I mean, it's always all of our issues, but there's these key moments. And so, that tomb resembles where I give up on something. And I just seal it up and say, I'm not looking, I'm not going there again. And it stays there as a dead grave in my life. And you have enough dead graves and you find you're getting numb. And you find you're not that sensitive or you just have the negative stuff coming out. The negative stuff is what Satan just energizes because he energizes closed graves. Jesus releases his spirit to set free, but closed graves are are actually legal invitations to Satan to take you captive. Whatever you're defending in yourself will be something that Satan will energize and hold you captive to. And you'd have to say, well, Jesus, I want you more than I want that to be shut down. The reality is that Satan will always speak about that will stink in there. You don't want to look at that. The reality is, as you let Jesus look at it, it never stinks because he actually brings out the living resurrection. So joy is what comes as we allow Jesus to set us free in all the graves that clutter our lives. That's the invitation. And the, the last point is really simple. It's just in order to walk with Jesus into the promised land. You know, those graves are like Jericho's. They're those places that um, we get stuck. The way you defend a grave is you blame. You blame or excuse. Of course, in somebody else, you accuse them for the same thing. But for you, it's different, right? But increasingly, I'm convinced that Jesus is saying it's very simple. 
I think he's also saying we should love one another more than we do. Love one another means stop hiding. I'll come with you, let's go and talk to somebody. In other words, stop protecting each other from what God's doing because we have compassion. You want the compassion of Jesus. Not some sentimental stuff that just hides more stuff. All of us are involved in this. There's none of us, not one of us, that has arrived. I hope some of you will come out on Tuesday night where the guy, interesting, the leadership training uh, modules that uh, we, are, we are looking at out of uh, Toronto's t- leadership training, international leadership training in Oslo, virtually all of the teaching it has nothing to do with leadership skills. It has everything to do with your own life, heart and spirit. That's what it all is about. Because they've recognized that leadership comes from meeting with Jesus and being filled with his spirit, period. Out of that the theory will come. Or the, you know, the principles, the, the practices. So, this morning I believe all God is wanting us to know is that he really says yes to us in the cries of our hearts. But there's an element in this cry that is our participation in the answer. And so Jesus said to Mary and Martha, where have you laid him? You come to Jesus with your life and he says to you, in a very simple way, it's not long sentences, either what you want me to do or where is it hurting. That's what a doctor says. I remember the time when Carmen, you probably remember some of you, she had that third degree burn and we went down to Victoria and the doctor, I mean it was awful. And we went down and she was sitting there, lying there as a two and a half year old with a fried uh, leg and the, and the doctor said the surgeon said there are two options the one is I can peel the skin off bit by bit it won't hurt at first but it will get increasingly painful or I can do radical surgery and we get it all out and then it starts healing so we went for radical surgery now the same principles work in the spirit realm too sometimes we want to just tiptoe around very preciously and we wonder why it doesn't seem to go anywhere I'd encourage you to say, Lord, here I am. I'm going to trust you with myself. And I'm going to ask you to show me who you want me to talk to when I come up against challenges. And I'm going to give you my pride. And, I'm going to give you, and I'll tell you something. The weakest looking people have just as strong a will as the strongest looking people. We all have wills of steel. We all have attitude, big time. Every single one of us. We just sometimes look like we're more polite. Because Jesus comes to us and just says, what do you want? This morning, he says that to you. He says, what do you want now? What would you like? Where are you now? I'm not here to condemn you at all. I'm just saying to you, my child, I love you. What do you want? You might be like Mary and Martha that you still have to say, but you said you would and you didn't and you haven't come. And He says, okay, do that with me. That's cool, that's fine, that's a compliment to him. And then he'll say, so now, where have you laid that? Where have you placed that? Where, where, let's go and look. And that's sometimes where we need help to say, where does that come from? So that I can give you joy. I can't put joy where there is this. It's getting cold, let's stand up and move around a bit. 
just, are we going to pray? Uh, but, you know, if you want to stand and move your arms a bit and just get a bit of circulation, I don't know what happened here. But we're not going to let that steal. Although, you know what? It does occur to me that uh, graves can be cold. So we can pray for resurrection. Let's come before Jesus. Just in, in, in really, this is five minutes. Let's come before Jesus together and just say, Jesus, what are you saying to me this morning? He's saying, I mean, we know that he's saying, and I mean this absolutely seriously, he's saying, he's calling you by name and saying, I have so much joy and love for you to experience. Not just to read in the Bible and quote a scripture, but to know. So what do we need to have happen in order for you to know that? Because you know the negative, or you know the struggle, that part you know. What about knowing the other part, which is the resurrection and the freedom and the life and the joy and the hope? Now you start off getting joy and hope by looking ahead. It's like getting pregnant, you know. So that takes nine months to work its way through. So you might stand here today and say, Jesus, this is really what I want and it might not happen tomorrow. Remember Mary and Martha, it took a couple of days or whatever. But God loves you. The Father loves you. And he's saying yes to you. And he's saying yes more than you would say yes to your children. You who are evil, not a good gift. I give good gifts to you and I give you one right now. But what he wants to do this morning in each of us is say, what's the next grave I can blow open for you? And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will show each one of us a grave, a, a place that we've given up on or something that we're living with. It might be a physical illness. It might be something emotional. It might be a situation. Wherever we have rolled a stone over, maybe it's long ago. might even be your relationship with God. It could be absolutely anything. And all he's saying is, why don't you talk to me about that? Just acknowledge it to me. I love you. I'm here to help you. I'm not going to beat you up. And when you have that situation, picture a grave, picture a big stone rolled over the air. And hear Jesus saying to you, I'm going to give you the strength. You can roll it away if you want, the, 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 the boulder over that. Some of us are afraid that if we let Jesus in too far, we're going to lose our freedom because, of course, we're so free. Or he's going to do things that we're going to regret, all that stuff. We can tell him that as well. But if you want to move forward with him in a way that you've never moved before, or you want to do business in a way you haven't, then roll away the grave stone. Jesus, we just give you those places in our lives that you are showing us now are places where we're actually getting weighed down. And if you can't think of anything, 
That doesn't mean Jesus is delighted with you, you're almost angelic and you're about to be in heaven. It might mean that there's such a numbness in you that you might have to give him that. There's no condemnation in that either. It's just that not one of us in this room, if I walked through this room now and asked each of you to identify something, it would be to help you identify something. Because God is working in all of our lives. Because he loves us and he wants his joy to be in us. But don't be upset if there isn't something clear. Just tell him that you want it and he will lead you into that over the next week. So I really want to be really clear. Wherever you are as you're hearing this word this morning, Jesus is loving you where you are and saying yes to you. Alright? So Father, we pray that you release in us an expectancy of your spirit. An expectancy for something more. The next step. Jesus, in your name we speak release into the graves that you're exposing in our lives right now. We thank you that you specialize in resurrection. And so we speak life into places where there's been death. We speak love into places where fear has bound us. We speak hope into places where we've just pushed away what has caused us problems and said, No, Lord, I'm scared of that. And Jesus speaks into your spirit right now and says, Come forth. Come forth. In Jesus' name, I speak to every spirit in this building and say, Come forth into the light of Jesus. And let the grave clothes be taken off, whatever it is he's working on. And Jesus, in these next days, we pray a, a, a powerful release of joy into that place or situation that we're bringing to you right now. Because we're making room for joy and hope and peace. And so we speak release of peace and joy. We pray that this week we will be surprised by your joy. Because we're doing something about it. We're participating with Jesus. That's what's important. We're going to get out on the road and we're going to talk to him. We're going to take him to the graves and we're going to say, Here it is, Lord. And then we're going to see something happen, feel something, and it's going to change us. Believe that for yourself. And if nothing changes, then you call me up and we have coffee or we, and we pray about it and we talk about it. Or you, you talk to somebody else. You bring it out into the open and you will, I promise you, take ground. And so, Father, we just bless you for what you're doing. We bless you for the joy that you're releasing. And we're going to sing a song as we pray this through just a little bit. Let's just stay with this as we sing the song and then uh, we'll be finished. But, uh... Just stay before the Lord. Try not to distract one another. We're going to sing the power of your love.